Listen to any earnings call with the Borstar Earnings Call mobile app now available on the App Store. Check the show notes for the download link. Good morning and welcome to PepsiCo's third quarter 2018 earnings conference call. Your lines have been placed on listen only until the question and answer session. In order to ask a question or make a comment, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone at any time. You may remove yourself from the queue by pressing the pound key. Today's call is being recorded and will be archived at www.pepsico.com. It is now my pleasure to introduce Mr. Jamie Caulfield, Senior Vice President of Investor Relations. Mr. Caulfield, you may begin. Thank you, Operator. With me today are Indra Nui, PepsiCo's Chairman and CEO, and Hugh Johnston, PepsiCo's CFO. We'll lead off today's call with a review of our third quarter performance and full year 2018 outlook, and then we'll move on to Q&A. Before we begin, please take note of our cautionary statement. This conference call includes forward-looking statements, including statements regarding 2018 guidance based on currently available information. Forward-looking statements inherently involve risks and uncertainties that could cause our actual results to differ materially from those predicted. Statements made on this conference call should be considered together with cautionary statements and other information contained in today's earnings release and in our most recent periodic reports filed with the SEC. When discussing our financial results on today's call, we will refer to certain non-GAAP measures which exclude certain items, such as the impact of the U.S. Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and other tax-related items, foreign exchange, exchange translation, and acquisitions, divestitures, structural, and other changes from our reported results. You should refer to the glossary and other attachments to this morning's earnings release and to the investor section of PepsiCo's website under the events and presentations tab to find full explanations and reconciliations of these non-GAAP measures. Now, it's my pleasure to introduce Indra Nui. Thank you, Jamie, and good morning, everyone. Thank you all for joining us. As most of you know, we announced in August that I'm stepping down as CEO of PepsiCo after 12 years in the role, effective tomorrow. And so today will be my final conference call with you. Actually, my 75th and final if you also include the calls I participated in as CFO. After we complete the primary business at hand, reviewing the results and outlook and taking your questions, I'd like to ask for your patience and allow me to make a few concluding remarks at the end of the call. So, moving on to business. For the quarter, we generated $16.5 billion of net revenue, driven by 4.9% organic revenue growth and delivered core earnings per share of $1.59 a 9% increase on a core constant currency basis. Overall, we are pleased with our operating and financial performance in the quarter. The organic revenue growth represents another quarter of sequential acceleration and the highest rate of organic revenue growth in 12 quarters. The majority of our businesses again perform well with particularly strong performances by our international sectors and solid performance by Frito-Lay North America. And while North American beverages' profit performance was impacted by inflation and a double-digit increase in advertising expense, the sector posted 2.5% organic revenue growth with a good balance between volume growth and net price utilization. Frito-Lay North America delivered balanced volume growth and net price utilization driven by strong innovation and brand marketing. For example, in June, we launched Stacy's Cheese Petites, Inspired by French cheese puffs, 
these bite-sized cheese snacks have real cheese baked inside, creating a sophisticated snacking experience. In fact, cheese is the primary ingredient. Petites are a good source of calcium and have six grams of protein per serving. And they come in a resealable pouch, making them great for a convenient on-the-go experience. Over the summer, Doritos and Mountain Dew partnered on our Worlds Collide program to appeal to our Gen Z consumers who thrive on exhilarating experiences. The program highlighted the brand's recent innovations, Doritos Blaze and Dew Ice, and rewarded consumers to purchase both products with merchandise and experiences. The eight-week media campaign supporting the program spanned social media channels and was also featured on Pandora to reach our consumers listening to music. <clears throat> Tostitos growth was fueled by new products such as roasted red pepper and black bean and garlic. To support the product launches, we created a program to drive trial during the summer get-togethers. Our Buy, Ride, Get Together Already program allowed consumers to scan a code on specially marked bags to redeem a $5 lift credit, making it even easier for our consumers to get safely to and from summer parties. And Cheetos benefited from the launch of Cheetos Flaming Hot Chipotle Ranch earlier this year, appealing to consumers' growing desire for intense flavors. Cheetos further benefited from our Cheetos Museum Win What You See campaign. It was our first ever Cheetos promotion supported by TV commercials, directing consumers to winwhatyousee.com, where we invited our fans to find and submit unique Cheeto shapes to have a chance to win what they see. We garnered more than 80,000 submissions, and the program has now been localized and rolled across seven additional countries and counting. Turning to North American beverages, while the marketplace remains highly competitive, we are encouraged by improving overall category growth trends and a generally rational pricing environment. We had another quarter of sequential organic revenue performance improvement. Organic revenue growth of 2.5% is the best we've seen at NAB in eight quarters and was driven by retail sales growth in Starbucks ready-to-drink coffee, Lipton ready-to-drink tea, Gatorade, our water portfolio, Pepsi, and Mountain Dew. Certainly, strong innovation across the portfolio is contributing to the improving performance. For example, Life Water continues its journey advancing and showcasing sources of creativity with the launch of our Series 6 bottles-themed diversity in design. LifeWater achieved more than $150 million in measured retail sales in 2017, which was its introductory year, and is on pace to achieve more than $200 million in measured retail sales in 2018. Bubbly, our new flavored sparkling water that has no artificial flavors, colors, or calories, which we launched in February of this year, continues to perform exceedingly well and is projected to exceed $100 million in measured retail sales in its first year. Mountain Dew's performance is benefiting from the launch of Mountain Dew Ice, another launch which should surpass $100 million at retail in its first year from launch, and from the return of Mountain Dew Baja Blast as our summer limited-time offering. And in June, we launched Gatorade Zero, with zero sugar and all the electrolytes of Gatorade Thirst Quencher. Gatorade Zero is providing hydration options for more athletes in more occasions and is off to a strong start. And we believe our stepped-up advertising and marketing, particularly on trademarks Pepsi and Mountain Dew, are also starting to contribute to improved performance 
as we saw sequential net revenue acceleration in both trademarks in the third quarter. Commodity inflation, operating cost inflation, particularly in transportation costs, product mix, and the stepped-up advertising expense each pressured our profit performance in the quarter. However, we expect that our recently implemented pricing actions will improve profit performance in the coming quarter. At Quaker Foods North America, a hot cereal business posted its fifth consecutive quarter of market share gains, supported by a marketing campaign highlighting the functional benefits of oatmeal and innovation like simple and wholesome organic hot cereal, a multi-grain hot cereal with no artificial colors or preservatives. In addition, Quaker Light Snacks gained market share with high single-digit retail sales growth, and our Aunt Jemima pancake business grew retail sales for the eighth consecutive quarter. And to close out our conversation on North America, we are pleased to report that in the third quarter, PepsiCo was the largest contributor to food and beverage growth at retail in the United States. Turning to our sectors outside of North America, we are extremely pleased with the 10% organic revenue growth we saw in our developing and emerging market as a group, which is a continuation of the strength we experienced across many of these markets in the first half. Strong marketplace execution led to continued solid growth across many of our key international markets. Within Latin America, organic revenue grew 10%, driven by high single-digit growth in Mexico, and double-digit growth in Argentina, Brazil, and Colombia. The LATAM team is doing an excellent job building our business and growing our market share in key countries in the region. In our Europe, Sub-Sahara, Africa sector, Russia and South Africa each grew organic revenue high single digits, while Turkey and Poland had double-digit organic revenue growth. Even within the developed markets of Europe, we saw mid-single-digit organic revenue growth in the UK and France. Again, continued good performance from this team. And in Amina, we had strong double-digit organic revenue growth in China, Saudi Arabia, India, and Egypt, and high single-digit organic revenue growth in Australia. Excellent results from our Amina team. This strong top-line performance translated into impressive bottom-line results with core constant currency operating profit up 12% in our international divisions as a group. The international results reflect our initiatives to continue to expand distribution of our big global brands and to innovate in locally relevant ways. For example, we continue to drive international growth of our Zero Sugar Pepsi Black and Pepsi Max trademarks with introductions of lime and cherry flavors across Eastern Europe, lime in the Nordics, and lime and vanilla flavors in the Philippines. We're driving growth in Doritos internationally, whether through expansion to new markets like China, where the brand's just celebrated its first anniversary since launch, to innovation in existing markets like India, where we launched Doritos Heatwave. And the Quaker trademark continues its global expansion, from the launch of Quaker Superfoods in Mexico, to our launches of Quaker Kids, and Quaker multi-grain instant oatmeal platforms in China. Finally, during the quarter, we reached an agreement to acquire SodaStream. As we said on the day of the initial announcement, we believe PepsiCo and SodaStream are an inspired batch. Daniel Birnbaum and the rest of the SodaStream team have built an extraordinary company that is offering consumers the ability to make great-tasting beverages 
while reducing the amount of waste generated. That focus is well aligned with performance and purpose. Our philosophy of making more nutritious products while limiting our environmental footprint. Together, we can advance our shared vision of a healthier, more sustainable planet. SodaStream will also add to our growing water portfolio while accelerating our ability to offer personalized in-home beverage solutions around the world. From breakthrough innovations like Drinkfinity to beverage dispensers like Spire for food service and Aquafina water stations for colleges and universities, we are finding new ways to reach consumers beyond the bottle, and the SodaStream acquisition is fully in line with that strategy. As we previously announced, the acquisition was unanimously approved by the boards of both companies. The transaction is subject to a SodaStream shareholder vote. Certain regulatory approvals and other customary conditions and consummation of the transaction is expected by January of 2019. Net. We are encouraged by the momentum we are seeing across many of our international markets. In North America, Frito-Lay continues to perform well. North American Beverages is making steady improvement, and our recently implemented pricing actions will help improve profit performance in North America. And finally, we are excited about the new opportunities that the pending SodaStream acquisition represents. With that, let me turn it over to Hugh Johnston. Thank you, Indra, and good morning, everyone. I'll just provide a quick update on the outlook, and then we'll move to your questions. After considering our year-to-date performance and other factors, we have updated our guidance for 2018. Specifically, we now expect at least 3% organic revenue growth for the full year. We now expect our core effective tax rate to be between 19 and 20%. We continue to expect core constant currency EPS growth of 9%. However, we now expect core earnings per share in U.S. dollar terms of $5.65, which reflects a one-point headwind from foreign exchange translation based on current market consensus rates due to the recent strengthening of the U.S. dollar. This is an 8% increase compared to 2017 core earnings per share of $5.23. We continue to expect strong cash flow and to exercise disciplined capital allocation with prudent reinvestment into the business. For 2018, we continue to expect free cash flow of approximately $6 billion, which includes approximately $9 billion in cash flow from operations, including a $1.4 billion discretionary pension contribution made in the first quarter. And we now expect net capital spending of approximately $3.3 billion. We continue to expect to return approximately $7 billion to shareholders in 2018 with cash dividends of approximately $5 billion, reflecting a 15% increase in the annualized dividend per share that began with the June payment and share repurchases of approximately $2 billion. Finally, As you update your models, I'd like to highlight the following items to consider for the fourth quarter. Frito-Lay North America is lapping 5% organic revenue growth from the fourth quarter of 2017. We expect operating profit to decline in our Amina division as we lap strong results and a refranchising gain in Jordan from the fourth quarter of 2017. 
we expect the previously announced refranchising of our Czech Republic, Hungary, and Slovakia business operations to benefit ESSA operating profit in the fourth quarter. And finally, based on market consensus forecast, we expect foreign exchange translation to negatively impact both net revenue and operating profit by approximately three percentage points in the fourth quarter. With that, operator, we're ready to take the first question. Thank you. Once again, in order to ask a question or make a comment, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone at any time. Our first question comes from the line of Dara Mosinian of Morgan Stanley. Morning, Dara. Hey, good morning. Congratulations uh, in your own illustrious career at Pepsi and best wishes for you in the future. Thank you. Uh, so um, the quarter itself um, clearly saw a, a large acceleration in the organic sales in emerging and developing markets. That's in contrast to some of the fears out there over slowing macros. So I was just hoping you could give us some more detail there on, on what drove the sequential improvement. Do you think it's more category growth accelerating or Pepsi market share picking up? Maybe some of the key countries behind that. And then most importantly, just are those drivers sustainable as you look going forward beyond Q3 as, as you think about the strength in the business in the quarter? Yeah, Dara, so from, from an international perspective, I, I think we, we saw remarkably uh, broad-based results. Uh, the, the list of countries that had, had a strong quarter is, is probably too long to enumerate on the call. We'd use up our, our entire time doing that. Uh, maybe most notably, I think it, it, we saw strong volume growth, both in snacks and in beverages. Uh, snacks were somewhere between 4 and 5% volume growth, beverages between 3 and 4 and, and I think it really does sort of demonstrate that both the, the power of the portfolio and then in addition to that, uh, the relatively broad-based strength of economic performance uh, around the world. So uh, I think we, we do expect international to continue to perform very well. Uh, I think the portfolio is sturdy and well-insulated. Uh, look, at any given time, we're, as, as countries are disrupted, we always have some exposure to those disruptions. But by and large, I, I think we have a remarkably powerful international business. And our executors also picked up quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Your next question comes from the line of Kevin Grundy of Jefferies. Morning, Kevin. Hey, good morning, Indra. And uh, I want to extend my congratulations as well. Um, can we start uh, on the North America beverage business uh, results improving? So congratulations on that. But but coming at a cost, when we look at the margin pressure year over year and understanding that, that freight and, and commodities are playing a part, but you're also picking up your advertising and marketing spending. So maybe you could touch on the ROI uh, on the spend if you're satisfied at this point. Uh, and then two, maybe touch on the necessity to maintain higher levels here into Q4 and even next year, particularly behind CSDs and sports drinks as we look at some of the market share trends we see in the, in the Nielsen data in order to maintain this level of growth. Thank you. Yeah, hey, hey Kevin, it's Hugh Johnson. Uh, a couple of things on that. Uh, you're right, the, the P&L was negatively impacted by two things. Uh, number one was cost pressure. Uh, both transport costs and aluminum were up. Uh, number two, it was the increase in, in advertising and marketing spend ac across a number of our businesses. Uh, maybe it's useful to step back a little bit in terms of the way that we think about advertising and spending levels. Uh, our intention, generally speaking, is to be competitive on advertising and spending levels, 
but not to accelerate beyond competition. Our goal is to, to win based on the quality of our advertising and, and the execution that, that follows that advertising rather than the, the level itself. So I, I think we will maintain levels of spending that are competitive, but not beyond competitive. Uh, regarding the, the input cost inflation, whether it's transport or whether it's aluminum, uh, our history has always been to price through uh, inflation uh, in, in our developed markets. Uh, we'll look to do that here. Uh, we did that uh, post Q3. It's fairly unusual to take pricing uh, in the middle of the summer. So we, despite the fact that we felt some of that pressure in the summer, uh, we, we didn't take pricing until September. Uh, I think you will see the profit picture uh, improve in Q4 as a result of that pricing. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Spillane of Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Hey, good, good morning, everyone. And, and Indra, really, um, you know, just want to wish you the best going forward. It's been a pleasure the last 20 years uh, covering you. Um, Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I, I guess the, the bigger question I would have is, is just, you know, as you're looking at the, the business today in, or in this year, right, we've seen some in, increase in investment for um, advertising and, and marketing. We've also seen SodaStream as a relative to some of the acquisitions you've done in the past, a little bit bigger. Um, which sort of suggests that there's just more of a need to sort of invest to continue to drive the top line. Um, so I guess, Andrew, if you could just sort of address is, are we at a point now where there's just a need to, to spend more, whether it's operating expense or M&A, to sort of drive the top line? Um, or was this year sort of more of, of, of an anomaly? Yeah, hey, Brian, it's you. Uh, those, those, are, those are two fairly different points, so let me address them separately. Uh, in terms of capital allocation broadly, no, no change in, in policy here. You know, we've talked about $500 million a year in tuck-ins. That, that continues to be our stated policy. Uh, SodaStream, in a lot of ways, is a unique asset in that it gets into a completely different market that we really weren't touching at all, which are consumers who prefer to prepare beverages at home whether they be just sparkling water or whether they be flavored beverages. So I, I would view that one as, as a unique opportunity that, that addresses, frankly, a, a number of, of strategic initiatives from, from PepsiCo's standpoint, but I wouldn't view that as demarking a, a change in, in trend. Uh, regarding is, it, is the cost of doing business going up more broadly, particularly in terms of driving top line, uh, I, I actually don't think so. I, I, I wouldn't interpret our increase in advertising and marketing in, in the beverage business as anything more than a, a response to a competitive increase, uh, and that's a, a competitive increase that uh, remains to, to be seen as to where it goes in the future. Uh, I think our expectation, as, as we've said before, is uh, we want to compete on execution, we want to compete on the quality of innovation, and we want to compete on the quality of our marketing. And we think we're well positioned to do that, particularly with our integrated system. Our next question comes from the line of Ali Debaj of Bernstein. Hey guys, um, you know, first Indra, very sorry to see you go. You've, you've really transformed the, the company and, and frankly the whole industry. So um, you feel very good about yourself. W would love to hear what made you decide to go after 12 great years, and maybe that'll be in the uh, in the closing remarks. But we'd love to hear that either now or later. And then more specifically about the quarter, um, you know, clearly your top line has been very good. The margins uh, seem a little bit of pressure, and we understand 
uh, both the advertising increases as well as some of the commodity and other costs that are, that are, that are in there. But, but historically, you've been able to insulate a lot of that through the you know billion dollar a year cost savings plan that we've seen here. Um, where do you think you are on that? Are you towards the end of that, and that's why we're seeing a little bit more pressure on the margins, or do you think that has legs to continue for many more years and continue to insulate you guys from uh, what we're seeing, for example, this quarter and the most recent quarters uh, on margin pressure? Thanks. Uh, Ali, why don't I ha handle your second question first? Uh, in, in terms of productivity going forward, the, the bucket out of which we drive productivity we call operating expense is about a $28 billion bucket. Uh, it's got a natural rate of inflation uh, of about 3 to 4%, uh, partly because the, the, the bucket is, is more tilted internationally where inflation rates are higher. Uh, so I, I do think we've got years and years of, of productivity to come in the future. I'm, I'm not here to announce a specific new program right now beyond what we've announced. But I, I do think we have lots of opportunity out there for further productivity. Uh, regarding your question on uh, whether we can uh, continue to, to drive uh, growth through the P&L funded by productivity, I think broadly the answer to that is yes. Uh, in a lot of ways, I think the, the third quarter uh, was reflective of the timing of our pricing decisions where we decided to take those post-Q3 rather than during the quarter, uh, which obviously pressured margins a little bit. Uh, and it was also reflective of continued investments that we're making in top-line growth initiatives, uh, whether it's advertising and marketing, which was up about 6% in the quarter. Uh, R&D spending was up about 22% in the quarter. Uh, E-commerce spending was, was roughly double in the quarter. So I think in, in many ways uh, what you saw was uh, a timing issue in terms of the timing of commodity increases versus the pricing increase and continued investment in the business while delivering the short-term performance that, frankly, in many ways has been emblematic of, of Indra's entire 12 years in running the company and her posture in doing so over the last 20 or more years with the company. Ali, and I'll answer your first question in my closing comments for sure. Your next question comes from the line of Judy Hong of Goldman Sachs. Thank you. Good morning, and, and congratulations, Indra, and best wishes for me as well. Um, so I guess first on the guidance, Hugh, so the FX obviously came down by about a percent. The core EPS didn't change. The revenue went up. Um, the tax rate came down. So maybe there's a little bit of uh, additional pressure kind of between those lines, so maybe a little bit color there. And then just follow up on NAB pricing. So Q3, post-Q3, uh, the price increases. Can you just give us a little bit color, just the magnitude of the price increases and the categories that you've announced the price increases and what you think the elasticity might be in terms of the, the pricing impact? Thanks. Yeah, so uh, in terms of the, the, the point that you made uh, regarding the, the P&L, we, we've said all along to the degree that we have upsides from tax and things like that, we intend to deliver our guidance and invest back in the business. You, you just heard me articulate uh, a few of the uh, a few of the areas that we've been uh, investing in regarding pricing in the marketplace. Uh, the, the, what we said broadly is the pricing will be somewhere in the the low to mid single digits, and and that's that pricing is basically in right now in the in the beverage business. Your next question comes from the line of Lauren Lieberman of Barclays. Morning, Lauren. Great. 
Good morning. Thank you. Indra, I was hoping to just take this opportunity um, to ask you, kind of as you look forward and you think about um, what are the biggest opportunities you think that are still ahead for PepsiCo? What do you think some of the biggest challenges are? Um, you know, there's a lot that has been built under your watch, you know, the continued development, for example, of DSD in the U.S., and yet we've got this, you know, these dramatic changes in retail. So you could just give us some thoughts on kind of opportunities, but then also some of the challenges and adjustments that might need to be made in the business model going forward, you know, as you set to your, to your retirement from the company. Thanks. Thanks, Lauren. And um, I think PepsiCo has the scale and scope to remain one of the most successful food and beverage companies well into the future. I think over the years, we've assembled a portfolio that is very synergistic, uh, has tremendous growth potential, and more importantly, we've built out a geographic footprint, which is you know, quite impressive. Uh, going forward, I think there's still tremendous amount of growth available in emerging markets. Uh, I think there's growth available in rethinking some of our businesses as platforms rather than just products. For example, we still haven't uh, fully exploited how snacks can be mini meals, uh, and what we can do with the combination of uh, our snacks and dips. And that's something our teams are looking at very seriously. How do we look at sports beverages more as a holistic sports nutrition or a sports fuel platform? And our teams are looking at that. And so our growth prospects, whether it's the developed markets or the developing markets and emerging markets, is actually what we imagine it to be, not necessarily what the reported numbers are. So that's the first top-line opportunity. Um, I think the wonderful thing about PepsiCo is that we reinvent ourselves constantly, whether it's rethinking innovation and top-line new capabilities we need to invest behind, uh, or if it's rethinking the cost structure. You know, as I've uh, said to many of you, I think there's lots of technology-driven disruptions that are coming down the pike that are going to force us to rethink many, many parts of our cost structure. But we started that work several years ago, and I think over the next year or so, you'll start seeing a lot of these taking root. And how we implement these in the company and reshape our cost structure for the new realities is really going to separate the great companies from the not-so-great companies. And I'm confident PepsiCo is among you know, the great companies, and we will reshape our cost structure using technology as a big driver. Uh, and I think we'll also use data analytics and insights to think about innovation a whole lot differently. So I feel good about where we are. We've made a lot of the investments. Uh, the trick now is to keep investing in the company judiciously so that we deliver a good balance of short-term results and make investments to keep this engine going into the future. Your next question comes from the line of Bonnie Herzog of Wells Fargo. Bonnie, right, Bonnie. Thank you. Good morning and congratulations from me too, Indra. We all wish you really the very best in the future. Um, I had a quick question on your guidance. Your outlook for organic sales is now slightly higher for the year, but it implies a sequential deceleration in Q4. So could you guys first reconcile that for us and then you know, whether you're being conservative or is there something else going on? And then I was also hoping to hear an update on your current thinking on the strategic options you're exploring for your beverage business in North America. I guess I'm wondering if you guys have made any more progress in you know, determining the right path for this business and, and really what your latest thoughts are on you know, potential benefits of refranchising. Thanks. 
Yeah, ha happy to jump in on that. Uh, number one, I would remind you that the Q4 lap on, on revenue is more difficult than, uh, than Q3 was. So while the guidance does imply a, a sequential uh, slowdown in Q4, uh, some of our thinking is driven by that. Uh, and, and frankly, the guidance we've laid out there is at least 3%, so we'll, we'll see how the quarter comes in. Uh, regarding uh, North America beverage and refranchising, uh, nothing new to report on that. We, we've said we, we'd look at it as, as we always do. Um, the one thing that I, I would say generally is uh, we do think the integrated system uh, does make us more innovative. It does make us faster to respond to customer needs, and it does make us more cost competitive. So those are the hurdles that we'd have to overcome if, if we were to see uh, some benefit to refranchising in the future. Your next question comes from the line of Caroline Levy of Macquarie. Hello, Good Kevin. morning, and hi, Indra, congratulations. I really can't wait to see what you're up to next. And uh, you've, you've been a great role model for many women, so congratulations. Um, I just, my question is on Frito North America, where the margin growth hasn't been as robust this year as it has historically. And I'm wondering how you're thinking about the fourth quarter, which has a very difficult lap. I know you had some one-time payments in the first quarter on bonuses. But, you know, is, is Frito's always been such a, a great driver of growth for the total company, Frito North America. Is there a point at which the margin expansion story, thinking longer term, maybe needs to slow um, as you invest in new opportunities? Yeah, hey, Carolyn, it's you. Uh, I, I think the answer to your question is no, because we, we think that, that business is is so strong in its ability to, to leverage new ideas and new technology and to scale them relatively quickly to, to provide increased margin over time. Uh, in terms of the, the short-term numbers that you're speaking to, uh, one of the factors affecting Frito-Lay this year is, is transport cost. Now, transport in Frito is more heavily internal uh, relative to beverages, which uses more common carrier. Uh, so beverages has been more exposed to the to the driver shortage and and the uh, the impact in terms of transport costs. But Frito Lay is not immune to that. It does use some common carrier, and there and there is some wage inflation in the driver pool as well. Uh, one of the things you will see uh, Frito Lay do is take some pricing in the fourth quarter, particularly in single serve, which I think will will mitigate the uh, the impact of the inflation, and you'll see their margin performance. Uh, return to a, a more normal, uh, a more, more more normal margin improvement. Your next question comes from the line of Andrea Teixeira of J.P. Morgan. Hi, uh, thank you, and Indra, thank you for making history in CPG. Best wishes for you and Ramon as well. Thank you. Uh, my question, thank you. My question is related to NAB. Um, uh, why are we encouraged to see the volumes uh, return to positive? Uh, but the trends continue to decelerate on a two-year stack. So how should we think about volume performance on a sequential basis as you move through the fourth quarter? I'm assuming um, that you're going to have some of the results of your increased investments and, and also execution at the trade. Thank you. Yeah, Andrea, I, I, I'm not gonna, I don't want to get into guidance on a, on a division-specific perspective and not on a division-specific quarterly perspective, particularly not. Uh, I, I would view it as the business is, is both improving, but it's improving in a broad-based way. So uh, 
watching volume alone may, may not be as meaningful as watching the combination of volume and revenue, particularly in light of the fact that uh, where we're seeing the best growth is oftentimes in non-carbs and premium products, uh, which are obviously, they move the needle less on volume, but they move the needle on, on revenue in a substantive way. So uh, again, I, I think the message here in terms of North America beverage is continued sequential improvement in, in the overall business. Uh, the pricing will obviously help in, in Q4 as well. Uh, and, and we think we're, we're getting that business back on track with the, uh, with the investments behind advertising and the innovation that we have. Your next question comes from the line of Steve Powers of Deutsche Bank. Good morning, Steve. Great. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, congrats and thank you from me as well, Indra. Thank um, you. Steve. I guess I, 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 uh, I had a question on on I guess I guess the, the question that Brian asked earlier on SodaStream, but from a different perspective. If, if we step back and look at what's happened over the course of this summer with the, the official creation of KDP, with the the alliance between Nestle and Starbucks, with Coke uh, purchasing Body Armor and then Costa Coffee, and your own action with with SodaStream, it just it feels like there's a tremendous amount of activity and change all across beverages right now. I just I'd love your thoughts as to as to why there's so much activity right now, uh, and what does it say about the, the future of the LRB category and PepsiCo's role in it uh, amidst all this change? Thank you. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, you know, Steve, I agree with you. There, there is a large amount of activity right now, and, and you just cited a couple of competitors coming at it from a couple of different angles. I don't want to speculate on, on their strategies. Those are questions probably best asked of them. Uh, I do think you have people uh, using different approaches to, to reach for growth uh, and, and to reconstruct their portfolios to some degree. Uh, from PepsiCo's perspective, by and large, uh, we like the construction of our portfolio right now. It's been built over the better part of the last two decades, and we think it's well-positioned to, to compete, well-positioned to innovate on as, as we build on the platforms that have existed here for a long time. SodaStream, I, I wouldn't compare to the other things that you cited. I think it, it's an exception to the rule because it actually gets into a, a market that we weren't playing in at all uh, up until now. And uh, frankly, I don't think any of the other people that you mentioned are, are playing in in a, sub, in a substantive way at all either. So I, I wouldn't compare our, our move in SodaStream with, uh, with some of the other competitive moves because I, I think it's driven by uh, a new opportunity for us as opposed to uh, getting into categories that, that some of those folks are already in, they just weren't scaled up in. Your next question comes from the line of Vivian Azer of Cowan. Morning, Vivian. Good morning, Indra, and congratulations. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is, you know, rung through through your tenure at Pepsi, and it's certainly coming through loud and clear on this call, is um, the, the focus on innovation and how that really helps differentiate um, the, the story. So with that in mind, I was wondering whether you could speak at all um, to how Pepsi's thinking about an opportunity in cannabis-based products, and specifically non-psychoactive cannabis as an additive to non-alcoholic drinks. Thanks. I, I mean, really, I don't have anything to say that you. I don't know if you want to add something there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we we. I think it's fair to say we look at everything, but I think that the difficulties in in investing in that category, uh, particularly in the U.S., where where federally these things are still not legal, uh, are are quite a considerable challenge. So, uh, we look at everything, but certainly no plans at this point to do anything. 
Your next question comes from the line of Amit Sharma of BMO Capital Markets. Hi, good morning, everyone. Hi, good morning, Indra, uh, and uh, very best wishes for you uh, after the retirement here. Um, two, two, two questions, if, if I may. Uh, one, uh, Hugh, to your response on the NABD franchising and, and perfectly acceptable answer, I just wanted to look at it from when you look at your potential partners from a bottling side, is that also a consideration uh, in your decision to keep the, the structure intact? And then second, um, as we look to the end of this year or next year, uh, there is a ton of contribution from below the line uh, in terms of EPS. Uh, as you look at next year, how much room do you have in that below the line in terms of flexibility, or should we expect operating profit to be generally in line with earnings growth next year? Yeah, I'm happy to, to answer both of those. Uh, in terms of the potential bottling partners, we have a lot of high-quality bottlers in our business, so that, that's not a factor in the decision. The factors are the ones that I mentioned earlier. Uh, regarding your question on 2019, uh, we're always quite disciplined around not talking about guidance for 2019 or even things that potentially impact, impact guidance until we get to that year, so we'll talk about that in February. Your next question comes from the line of Pablo Zwanek of SIG. Thank you. All the best, uh, Andrew. All the best. Uh, two quick questions, if I can. You know, a bit forward-thinking in terms of snacks, it seems to me that, yes, Frito is very strong and salty, but a lot of the innovation, it's on, more on the savory side, I would argue. Uh, we are seeing a lot of the food companies coming into snacks. So just help us frame uh, how, how Pepsi fits in there, because from my perspective, the company obviously protects its very strong salty franchise and delves into adjacencies very lightly, maybe perhaps not to, not to dilute the core, but, but the market seems to be moving and shifting away from salty into those other categories. So is that a concern? How should we think about that? And the second, very, very, very brief, you know, is there room for a closer collaboration with Starbucks in the case of coffee? I mean, obviously Starbucks now is doing things with Nestle uh, overseas and in the U.S., um, is there room for, for Pepsi to do something with Nescafe, for example? Uh, if you can comment on that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, hi, Pablo. It's you. Uh, regarding Frito-Lay, I, I think we've continued to, to inch out of salty and into savory really over, over the course of the past decade or more, uh, whether it's our, our Sabra joint venture or whether it's Stacy's. Uh, there, there's a lot of examples where we, we've gotten beyond uh, salty and into savory. I, I think the good news is the combination of our consumer insights, uh, which are broad-based around how people consume uh, snacks, uh, I think leads us into savory in, in a fairly effective way. Uh, the, the reality of it is consumers don't think in, in these industrial terms like salty or savory. They think about occasions and they think about what they feel like eating. Uh, Frito-Lay's insights, I think, are extremely well positioned to pick the right areas to go and to develop the right products uh, to take advantage of those consumer opportunities. Uh, and then in addition to that, uh, the scale of the Frito-Lay operation, uh, once a decision is made to enter a, a new uh, subcategory, I think allows us to be very, very successful very, very quickly. Uh, the scale being from, from the perspective of brands, from the, the production systems, from the, from the distribution systems. Uh, so I, I think you'll see Frito-Lay continue to be very successful uh, in the savory area. Uh, regarding your, uh, your second question um, around Starbucks, 
uh, look, we, we've had the Starbucks partnership now for the better part of 20 years. It's been remarkably successful for, for both of us. Uh, I think you'll continue to see us expand and build on the relationship with Starbucks. The only thing we're not going to do is get into the restaurant business <laughs> Correct. Starbucks. Correct. Your next question comes from the line of Robert Ottenstein of Evercore ISI. Great. Morning, Thank welcome. you. Very, good morning and, and congratulations. Um, two questions, Indra, um, a little bit more, more big picture. Uh, first, uh, a few years ago you described, and I think you were talking more about the, the U.S. consumer, as, as somewhat confused on health and wellness issues uh, in terms of how they were viewing sugar and artificial sweeteners. I think it was probably three years ago. Um, so I'd love to get an update in terms of your thinking about how the U.S. consumer is, is, is looking at the health and wellness space, and particularly with regards to sugar and artificial sweeteners. And then the, the other question is perhaps maybe give us a little bit more insight into your successor. Uh, obviously has done a fantastic job on the international front, uh, but maybe a little bit, bit of thought of kind of the things that he's done in his past that could be very helpful uh, with the rest of the organization. Thank you. Yeah. So I'll just speak to the um, U.S. consumer. Uh, what we have been seeing over the past three years is that even though there's occasional confusion on uh, artificial sweeteners, good for you or not, why not, real sugar, you know, what's wrong with high fructose corn syrup, those kinds of questions, there is a general trend towards health and wellness, whether it's consumption of more uh, zero-calorie uh, flavored waters or drinking diet products or lower-calorie products. There's definitely a trend towards whole grains, closer to nature. So that trend, you know, might vary in speed year over year, but the trend is there. And, um, you know, as the millennials, uh, you know, age, I think they're driving uh, this trend more and more. And the availability of more healthy products, whether it's ready-prepared uh, ready meals or, um, you know, home delivery of anything that's healthy, is actually taking away any barriers to buying uh, healthier products, you know, whether it's better for you or good for you products. So I think you're going to see an acceleration towards that trend as the years go by. Now, Ramon is just an, uh, you know, an outstanding executive, and you'll get a chance to get to know him uh, over the next few weeks and months. Uh, the good thing is a lot of the trends we are seeing in the U.S. have already happened in Europe, whether it's retail consolidation, uh, whether it's trends towards health and wellness, uh, you know, competition uh, amongst all of the European food and beverage companies where, you know, warehouse-delivered products, uh, you know, are really um, – have to negotiate how do the retailers, all of those trends Ramon's a veteran of, and he's going to bring all those skills to the United States. Uh, second, as you know, over the last year as president, Ramon's been leading the productivity program uh, for the company, been leading innovation. So I think he's uniquely suited to bring uh, a fresh pair of eyes to everything we do here in North America while preserving his knowledge of the international markets. You know, finally, he's just a good guy. I think you'll find his mix of operating expertise, plus his ability to think about customers, consumers, um, and you know, bring the two together to be refreshing. So uh, get to know him. I think you're going to be very happy with what you see. Our next question comes from the line of Laurent Grandet of Guggenheim. Hello, Laurent. Good. Hey, good morning, Indra. Good morning, you. 
Uh, Indra, so let me first congratulate you on uh, for having been at the forefront of consumer goods company with performance with purpose, your vision that redefined, I think, the company role in society and embrace, I mean, the, the new reality of uh, consumer mindset. So having yeah. seen... Having seen this from the inside, I can only relay your passion and commitment where second to none. Thank so, you. maybe something you will uh, cover in your closing remarks. What would you have done differently should you have the opportunity to rewind, rewind time? And then more <clears throat> in, the, in the business uh, right now, I mean, uh, uh, your campaign Pepsi Generations and increase A&M behind the brand did probably enough to stabilize the brand Pepsi this year. Now, um, we could think that the campaign uh, was probably pleasing the boomers with some nostalgia retro pack, uh, but not sure it attracted new consumer into the franchise. So could you please share with us, um, I mean, Pepsi-specific, I mean, brand KPIs, uh, especially as in regards to uh, millennials consumers, please? Yeah, so as you might imagine, the the KPIs on Pepsi are the ones that you would you would traditionally look at. Uh, first, at the highest level, market share performance uh, and velocities in the stores. From a consumer perspective, we we tend to look at uh, purchase intent, regard, uh, relevance to consumers. A lot of this stuff is done through survey work and. Uh, we have seen over time uh, the metrics that we measure, while they may not be immediately responsive, they do tend to prove out over time uh, sales trends, both positively and negatively. Uh, and the good news is what we are starting to see are, given the increases in advertising, uh, early green shoots of improvement in those, in those performance metrics that, again, do over time tend to correlate with sales performance. Thank you all for your questions. Um, just uh, let me make some closing comments. After 12 years at the helm of the company, today is my final day as CEO. It ends my 24-year career as a PepsiCo executive. You know, I've been blessed to have had the opportunity to lead such a great company and work with such incredible people, including our outstanding board, executives and other associates, our customers and other partners, our shareholders, and all our other stakeholders. You know, 12 years is a long time as a CEO, and even though I have a lot of fuel still left in my tank, I wanted to do something different with my life, spend more time with my family, and give the next generation PepsiCo a chance to lead this great company. Throughout my tenure, however, we've strived to achieve a difficult balance between attending to short-term pressures while managing for the long term. And I leave today proud of the work our team has done. We were pioneers in business sustainability and social responsibility and embedded a sense of purpose in everything PepsiCo does, guided by our performance and purpose philosophy. We have transformed our product portfolio by growing our good-for-you and better-for-you options from about 38% of revenue in 2006 to roughly 50% in 2017. We more than doubled our investment in research and development to expand our more nutritious offerings and minimize our environmental impact. We became an even more valued partner to our retail customers. We were selected as the number one food and beverage supplier in the United States in the most recent 2017 Advantage Report and named Best in Class Manufacturer by Kantar for the second year in a row. We made positive contributions to communities around the globe in which we operate through our support of access to clean drinking water, human rights, nutrition, 
agricultural programs, and many more initiatives. And we invested significantly in new capabilities in areas like design and e-commerce to better position our company for a successful future. In the midst of managing the business for the long term, we also delivered strong and consistent financial performance, specifically during the period 2006, 2006 to 2017. Net revenue grew more than 80%. We added a new billion-dollar brand almost every other year. We returned $79 billion to shareholders through dividends and share repurchases. Our market capitalization increased by $68 billion. Dividends per share nearly tripled from $1.16 to $3.17. And we generated total shareholder return of 162%. Finally, and very importantly, we have been on Ethisphere's list of most ethical companies for the past 12 years. For all of this, I'm grateful to my outstanding PepsiCo associates who gave so much to PepsiCo and me over the past 12 years. And now I'm handing the reins to Ramon LaGuarta, who becomes PepsiCo's sixth CEO. Ramon is a terrific executive with a long and proven track record of growing businesses. He has a deep understanding of the changing preferences of consumers and other critical trends unfolding around the world and he has demonstrated that he knows how to navigate them successfully. He has been a critical partner to me in running the company, and I'm confident he will lead PepsiCo to new and greater heights in the years to come. The potential for PepsiCo is enormous. Finally, I want to thank you, our investors and analysts. During my time as CEO and CFO, I've had a lot of spirited and fascinating conversations with many of you. I've always valued your perspectives, even in those instances when we may have disagreed. You often challenged me, offered your opinions, and provided different perspectives. My interactions with you over the years helped make me a better executive and helped make PepsiCo a better company. Thank you all for your time today and your engagement through the years. And thank you for the confidence you've placed in us with your investment. Thanks. Thank you. That does conclude today's PepsiCo third quarter 2018 earnings conference call. You may now disconnect.